Great to see you all here. Welcome. Love seeing the warm greetings going around. So glad that you're with us this morning. And I do just want to echo what, what Darren said, just our uh, gratitude as a staff to you, the people of FBC. Really, it's a joy to work here, to serve you, to serve with you. And uh, we talk regularly as a staff just about how we feel like we hit the church jackpot to, to work here and to get to share life with, with you and the individuals and families of this church. You just make it a joy. So we love you and thank you. Um, with that, let's pray as we get started to jump into the Word, shall we? Father, we want to turn to you and say thank you. As we have done already this morning, thank you for the gift of a new year and your continued faithfulness to this church and to each of us. God, thank you for your love and your grace, the work of Jesus on the cross for us, of course, the new life that we now enjoy with you. And God, as we come to your word, we do so with humble hearts, realizing that we need your help to understand it and to apply it to our lives. And so we pray that by your Spirit, you would do your work in us. Pray that you would help us to see you clearly, to see you for who you are. Uh, We love you, and we give you this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, would you turn with me in your Bible to the book of Hosea? As we begin our new series this morning, Hosea is found in the Old Testament, and it's a small little book, so if you need to use the table of contents, please do so. No shame. Find it however you need to. Um, It's in a part of the Bible that we're not always familiar with, a collection of books known as the Minor Prophets, not minor because of their significance or importance, but minor in terms of their length. They're rather short books, which is why they're a little hard to find. Uh, So again, if you're new here, then uh, you should know that normally on a Sunday morning, what we do in our worship service is we walk through a book of the Bible. And so for some time, we've been studying the book of Mark. We're just uh, kind of verse by verse, section by section. We walk right on through, but we just wrap that up. And so now we begin anew in the book of Hosea. But this will be a little different than normal. We're not going to go start to finish through the whole book, but we're going to do verse, or excuse me, chapters 1 through 3 and just walk through that section. And you'll find that these first few chapters are kind of a contained unit and really fit together well and contain the rest of the themes that we find in the book. All the major themes are kind of developed and found in these first few chapters. And so through just a few weeks here, we'll be able to kind of capture the scope and the heart of the book of Hosea. Uh, You'll see as we read verse 1 that uh, kind of the historical setting is given. The word of the Lord comes to Hosea during the reign of several kings are listed, kings from Judah and a king from Israel. And because of that, we can kind of date this book to sometime in the 8th century B.C., second half of the 8th century, somewhere between 750 to 
20. We know that that's when Hosea was a prophet. That's when his ministry took place and these events that we're going to read about. Now, if you're unfamiliar, the role of a prophet in the Bible was really rather simple. They were to deliver the Word of God to the people. And so they would hear messages, receive messages from God, and come and speak on behalf of God to the nation or to the king or to the people as a whole. And so that's what we're going to see happening here in the first few verses. Let's read it to start. Hosea 1, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And so he, Hosea, married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, at this point, you might be wondering, as it would be natural to wonder why we are reading and studying the book of Hosea. Because as we talked about, the historical setting places this in the 8th century BC, which means that we have almost 3,000 years of history between the events we're reading about and our lives today. We're reading about strange kings and a foreign land, and so naturally it would lead us to question how this would be relevant to us in Benicia, California in 2019. What we're going to find is that in the book of Hosea and really the rest of the Bible, we find these timeless truths about who God is. Hosea is delivering for us a picture of the heart of God, what God is like, how God operates. See, there are many areas of life that we prefer to leave the work to professionals, right? If you're going in for an important surgery, you don't want any part of that, right? You're just glad that there's a professional, a doctor, someone who's been trained, went to school, and they can handle it for you, right? If you're going on a trip, Most of us don't want any part of the cockpit, being in there with the pilots. We're just glad that there are professionals trained who can figure it out for us. If you go to the dentist, same thing. Or when you do your taxes, a lot of us are like, I don't want to deal with that mess. And when you need a lawyer, someone who knows the legal, just let let them figure it out and I'll stay out of it, right? Leave it to the professionals. Some of us want to do that when it comes to theology, Theology, very simply, is the study of God. Who is God? What is God like? Sometimes we want to say, let's just leave that to the professionals. It's kind of complex, and so let's just leave it to the scholars or the seminary students or the pastors. They can figure it out. Um, I'm not as interested. The only problem with that is that theology is an area of life where we cannot simply leave it to the professionals, as it were. The reality is, each of us is a theologian. Turn to the person next to you say, you are a theologian. Yeah, it's true. 
And by that, I don't mean that everybody's been to seminary or everyone is a Bible scholar. You might be here this morning, you might not have read much of the Bible at all, but we all have a view of God, right? We all have beliefs about who God is, what God is like, even if those beliefs aren't very well-formed or maybe coherent, we haven't articulated them, you know, they're kind of below the surface, even if that's the case, we have these assumptions about who God is and what God is like. And we all are charged with the task of what do we believe about God? That's not something that we can simply leave to the professionals. It's something that each of us have to jump in and and figure out. And so the book of Hosea is going to give us this picture of God, who God is, what God is like, how God operates. And so our task is to jump in, to learn about who God is, and then see how we are to live in light of that. And so, let's jump back in. Verse 2, after the introduction, it says, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, here's the message, Go, marry a promiscuous woman, and have children with her. And then verse 3, So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Kind of a strange beginning, right? Don't, don't miss how bizarre the beginning of this book is, how scandalous even the beginning of this book is. It starts off in striking fashion with God coming to his prophet, his holy servant, one of his messengers, and telling him to go and marry a promiscuous woman, a woman who we learn later her name is Gomer. Now, we don't know exactly the nature of her sexual sin, but we know that she's definitely a woman of ill repute, very likely a prostitute, right? Maybe your translation, if you're reading the ESV, calls her a wife of whoredom, a wife of harlotry, I believe the King James Version reads, or the NIV, as we have, just a promiscuous woman. Now, you might not know a lot about Christianity or the Bible, but most people are pretty sure there's something in there about sexuality and it being in the context of marriage. You might not know a lot about the Bible, but you're pretty sure there's something about that in there. So this stands out as a little strange, right? God telling his prophet to go and marry this woman. I mean, just picture this conversation between God and Hosea. It starts off the way a lot of prophetic messages or books would. The word of the Lord came to Hosea. So picture God coming to Hosea. Hosea, I have a job for you. Well, good, Lord. I am your servant. I am one of your prophets. I can deliver a thus saith the Lord. You know what I'm saying? So what do you got? I got my little notepad here. I'll jot down what you have for me to say. I'll go to the people. I'll do the, deliver the message. Let's do this thing. He says, well, Hosea, actually, uh, the message I have for you, or the job I have for you, is a little different this time. I want you to go get married. Married, you say. 
Well, you know, God, I'm glad you brought that up. I was actually about to bring, say something to you. The prophet life can be a little bit lonely, so I was actually thinking maybe we could find a, a wife for me to, to share this life with, to walk, maybe she could help with my ministry. You know, I've had my eye on a few of the girls in the synagogue, these good Jewish girls. They're faithful. They love you. I mean, they would really be uh, an asset to, to this ministry thing we got going. Hold on, Hosea. Uh, I actually already have the girl picked out for you. Uh, her name is Gomer, and she is a promiscuous woman. She's a, a wife of whoredom, as the ESV says. She might be a, a prostitute, even. Can we just rewind a second, God? Because <laughs> I, I, let's just, just backtrack a little bit to the part about who I'm supposed... It sounded like it sounded like you said you wanted me to go marry Gomer. You heard me right, Hosea. I want you to go and marry Gomer, this promiscuous woman. God's done strange things before and asked his prophets to do strange things before, but this seems to be kind of in a category of its own, right? We have Hosea and the harlot. The preacher and the prostitute. This is not a likely pair. And this is not someone with a checkered past who's kind of like cleaned things up and they've repented and now they're walking the straight and narrow. I mean, this is someone right in the thick of it. This is not the type of girl you'd want to bring home to mom. It's not the type of girl you want your sons to marry. Gomer is not the type of woman you want your daughters to become. Don't tell me the Bible's boring. We got ourselves a story here, people. My goodness. And this has caused a few interpreters to say, this is so strange, so out there, that God, it couldn't have gone this way. And so when it says that uh, she was a promiscuous woman, maybe it's talking about what she would become. You know, like later she becomes an adulteress and a promiscuous woman and sexually sinful. But at the time Hosea married her, she must have been like, you know, good to go, because God wouldn't ask his prophet to do something that scandalous. And it's likely to read the text, or it's possible to read the text that way, uh, but I don't think it's likely. If we just take the text as straightforward as we can, the way it reads, it leads us to the conclusion that uh, when Hosea married her, she was already had a past of sexual sin and scandal and adultery. We don't know, again, the exact nature. Maybe she's a prostitute. Either way, it doesn't look good. Which would lead us to the natural question, why would God ask Hosea to do this? What's going on? And so we see verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman, have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Ah. This land, these people, it's a way of speaking about the people of God. They have been unfaithful. So, Jose, I want you to go and marry an adulterous wife because I, the Lord, have an adulterous wife. My people. They have been unfaithful to me. She will be unfaithful to you. And so this, this marriage between Hosea, the prophet, and Gomer is this vivid, real-life 
picture that God wants us to see of his relationship with his people and how it's gone awry. Now, to understand what's taking place here, we should understand a bit of context, a little bit of the backstory. God has a history with his people. And so if we look back to the other parts of the Old Testament, we'll see how the story began. And we can kind of hone in on the book of Exodus where the people are in slavery and God brings them out of Egypt. Right? You remember the story with Moses and Pharaoh. God rescues them out of slavery, leads them towards the promised land. And his plan to rescue the world is to form a nation, a people, the people of Israel. And through that nation, God will make himself known to the world. And through that nation, God will bring the Savior, the Messiah, into the world. But as we look in the book of Exodus, especially chapter 20, we'll see that God's forming this nation. And at the beginning, there's some, some expectations. Right, do you remember the Ten Commandments? What's the first one? You have no other gods before me. So that's God, as this relationship is beginning and God's forming the nation of Israel, here's rule number one. You're not to go and worship other gods like the pagan nations do, like the people around you do, worshiping Baal and who knows who else. No, you are to worship me. You worship me and me alone. And through you. I will make myself known to the world for my glory and for the good of all people. And see, the biblical word for this type of relationship is a covenant. God enters into a covenant with his people, which is a, an agreement, this binding commitment between two parties. It's exclusive, and it's much like a marriage. And so before we go any further... Let's just bring it back to, to 2019 here today and talk together a little bit because we should realize that this same type of relationship, this exclusive, committed, covenantal relationship between God and his people back then is the same type of relationship that God expects with us as his people today. When we hear the call to follow Jesus, it's an invitation to an exclusive, committed relationship with him and no one else. We forsake all others and worship him alone. That is a hard truth for many of us today because we kind of swim in the waters of religious pluralism. We have all kinds of ideas and opinions out there in the world about who God is and what God is like and if there's a God at all. And it kind of all just gets meshed together. And so we like to hear the words of Jesus. Sure, he had some good stuff to say. So we'll take a bit of that. But could we like have some Buddhism on the side maybe? You know, like Jesus is the main entree, but can I, can I order a side of Buddhism or some kind of like Eastern spirituality uh, here or maybe some like pop spirituality out there today? A very person-centered, you know, you kind of connecting with the universe and just kind of mysticism of some kind or maybe like some Oprah spirituality you want to work in uh, or maybe your favorite news website, make that a part of your worldview. And so we kind of kind of smorgasbord this thing and piecemeal our, our worldview together. And it's very hard for us to say Jesus and Jesus alone. That, that feels narrow, that feels too exclusive, too close-minded, 
Uh, it's, it's hard for us today. As Americans, we value freedom, options, choices. Don't limit my freedom, right? I mean, that, that's part of our identity as Americans. So it's hard for us when we come to a text like this and a concept like this, exclusive commitment to God and to Him alone. And let's just be honest. Sometimes we, we don't want to seem arrogant. It feels kind of wrong almost to say that we've found what is true about God and other people haven't or other people are wrong. That's, that's just hard for some of us to say, so I don't want to make light of that. Sometimes we don't want to limit ourselves to just one spiritual expression. So this idea of covenant and commitment is like, that's just kind of extreme, kind of fanatic, kind of hard for some of us. Let's just be honest. But I want us to see two things about that first. The first is that this exclusive commitment with God is expected of us. Okay, and so let's just be very clear that from start to finish, the Bible presents for us a God who wants us to worship Him and Him alone. We just agree on that? So uh, sometimes we think, well, God, you know, Jesus, He's, he's a pretty gracious guy, so He's, he's not that uh, concerned if I, you know, want to worship him and kind of, you know, mix in some other things here and there and kind of divide my loyalties a little bit. He, he's okay with that, and he's not. <laughs> he's, he's not. If we, if we read the Scriptures, we'll see continuously that God is jealous for our love. God calls us to complete loyalty, no split devotion, no keeping your options open, no little bit of this, a little bit of that. No, it's, it's Jesus and him alone. You don't, you don't have to like that or, or agree with that or, or live your life that way. You might say, no, that's, that's crazy. That, that's, you know, ancient, backwards, that's, that's whatever. But let's just, I don't want us to mistake that that is the claim the Bible makes. The second thing I want us to see is that exclusive commitment to the Lord is a good thing. It's a good thing for us. Again, sometimes in a conversation like this, following Jesus and him alone, sound, it sounds like a burden, or again, it sounds too narrow, and we're like, oh, why would, I, why would I want to get myself into a relationship like that? But it's, it's good for us. It's good for us. Think about this, like, with a, with a marriage. This is a normal, you know, human marriage. It is exclusive. It limits your freedom. It's rather narrow. You close off a lot of other options, you have one spouse for life. Right? That's fairly limiting. But it's in the context of that relationship that you're intended to experience greater depths of joy and intimacy and safety than you would find on your own, than you would ever find if you just keep your options open for your whole life. And so depth of relationship requires commitment. Exclusive commitment. We find that in a number of ways in our lives. And so just imagine for me a, a proposal for marriage that went something like this. Ladies, if your now husband maybe came to you, or if you're not married, you know, if a potential husband comes to you and says, Girl, you're pretty fly. I want you to know you're looking good. I think we should make this thing official. I think I want to spend some time with you, some years down the road. Let's, let's make a kind of commitment here. Uh, but just, can we just make the ground that was really clear up front? Uh, you know, I want you to commit to me and, you know, bless me, serve me, honor me, cherish me, do all that stuff. But I don't really want to limit my freedom for you. 
Okay, so like we can just like, I guess we'll live together, you know, things will go well that way, but like I, I want to spend my time how I want to spend my time, and I want to keep up the relationships that I have and not change them at all, and I, you know, I want to have the freedom to go and pursue other women if I want to, you know, like don't try and infringe upon my freedom. Ladies, what would you say? <laughs> Hopefully no, <laughs> right? Hopefully no, that's not how this thing works, right? We commit to one another exclusively. And we love and honor and cherish and serve one another for life. That's how this thing goes. And so it is with God. There is a commitment to Him. And yet, when we commit to Him and Him alone, there's uh, countless blessings and a depth of joy and intimacy we share with Him as we grow over the years that we will not experience elsewhere if we just keep playing the field and keeping our options open in that way. And so, God expects this exclusive relationship with us, his people. Following Jesus is not just about some religion you practice, some hoops you jump through, but a God that you know and that you know intimately. God that loves you. The problem is that we often fail to keep this covenant. We break our vows, as it were. We fail to stay faithful to the Lord. And that's what we see in verse 2. The Lord began to speak through Hosea. The Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For, like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. My people have been unfaithful. We've entered into this covenant together. They've broken it. And here we are in the 8th century B.C., and God's people are in the promised land. But after King David and after King Solomon, the kingdom is broken by sin and it's divided. And Hosea is a prophet in the northern region of Israel. And especially the northern kingdom begins to go astray. And they're influenced by Assyria and the pagan nations around them that are worshiping Baal and other gods. And that Influence has infected the people of God so that they too are worshiping other gods. And so God is experiencing the pain of rejected love. He loves his people, he loves his bride, and she has left him. She's been running around on him, pursuing other lovers, breaking his heart. Is there any greater betrayal? Some of us know the pain in this room of such betrayal. I'm not naive to think that some of us here have not experienced this before. This is no no light topic. This is not easy to talk about. And that's exactly why God uses this image of a husband and a wife, and an unfaithful spouse to to get through to us, to break our hearts, to help us see how much pain we have caused. And so we'll get into this in the weeks ahead, kind of what the people were doing back then, how they had gone astray, what that looked like. But we know just to start the general picture of they're breaking God's commands, they're worshiping 
pagan gods, making sacrifices at other temples, but they're still kind of hypocritically claiming to love God while they're pursuing these other lovers. Now, it's not good news then to realize that in this story, we today most relate with Gomer, the adulterous wife, Gomer, the promiscuous woman. She's not only intended to be an image of the people of Israel back in the 8th century, but a picture of how we today tend to go astray. And so we were just thinking as a staff and board, how can we just keep growing our church and keep reaching people? Let's just call, here's an idea, call everyone a bunch of prostitutes. That's what's really going to bring people en masse into the building. Just kidding, that's not, that's not we didn't think that. Um, that's not how this came about. But I know you probably didn't expect to come to church and be called a, a prostitute or turn to your neighbor and say, you are a promiscuous woman. Look him in the eye. Can't always say that. You are a promiscuous No. How was your day at church today? <laughs> well, my pastor had some choice words for me. Um, no, it's a hard truth, and uh, I, I joke, but uh, I mean, really seriously, we're, we see ourselves in, in Gomer, and we'll see that more as the, as the book goes on. And what was true of God's people in Hosea's time and their unfaithfulness to him is often true of us today, where we say to the Lord, you know what, God, you are not enough for me. Your love is not enough for me. And so I have to go and find love and find life elsewhere. Even though I've made this commitment to you, I'm going to go and worship the idol of, of comfort. I just want to be comfortable more than I want you. I just want to pursue my own uh, selfish desires. I want more toys. I want an easy life. I want to eat good food. I want to go on good trips. don't want to really sacrifice much for you, God. I think that's what's going to satisfy me. Or we, we leave the Lord and we go and pursue the idol of power and success and achievement and, and renown and promotion in our job. Do you think that'll satisfy us? We care more maybe about the approval of other people. We say, God, your affection, your approval, your love is not enough for me. I've got to go find approval from other people. I'm going to do whatever I can to be loved by other people. So I'm going to fear rejection. I'm going to fear the opinions of other people. And do anything I can to make other people think well of me because that's what's going to satisfy me, not you, Lord. So we could go on, right? How many idols crop up in our hearts that we pursue because we think that they will satisfy us more than the Lord? Other things will fill our hearts more than a relationship with God himself. And to all of those things, God says, why? Why are you leaving me? Why are you going astray thinking that you will find life and love that's more fulfilling than what I can offer you? And so Hosea should break our hearts and leave us with this question of, okay, well, what's God going to do? I mean, this, this wounded husband, how will he respond? Will he just wipe his people off the face of the earth? Will he just call for a divorce, file the papers, walk away, abandon her, done with her? Maybe we would expect that. But no, that's not how God responds. No, there's hope in the book of Hosea. 
And here's the first clue that there is hope is the fact that we have the book of Hosea at all. Right? And that we have these first three verses with God trying to get through to his people. Saying, Hosea, I want you to go and marry Gomer and I want you to love her. Love this promiscuous woman. Love this adulterous woman because I want my people to see the way that I love them. So I need you to act it out for them. I need you to live this so that they might get it. And so the book of Hosea starts. And we find out later in verse 14, excuse me, chapter 14, verse 1, is God's plea to his people, simply this, return. It's his offer, return to me. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Come back to me. This whole thing is to try to get through to them. And so, like we talked about this morning, what is God like? How does God operate in the world? What do we see about the heart of God in Hosea? What does Hosea teach us? Teaches us that you can break God's heart, but you cannot break his love. That God faithfully loves unfaithful people. And he's there inviting us back to him, saying, return to me. It's not too late. I don't care how much of a mess of things you've made. I'm not going to hold your sin against you. I'm not going to put you down. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to welcome you home. And it's here that we remember that the book of Hosea, it's not just about Hosea. Hosea is not the hero of Hosea. Hosea is intended to prepare our hearts to see one day the real hero, and his name is Jesus. And the New Testament describes Jesus as a faithful husband who loves his wife, the church. It's us. He loves his people so much so that he laid down his life for us. So much so that he took your sin and my sin and he went to the cross and he died for us in our place that we might be forgiven, that we might be cleansed, that we might be welcomed home in relationship with God. And so we're not just talking this morning about God's love for people way back then in the 8th century B.C. We're talking about God's love for you and I and the world today. He offers grace and forgiveness and salvation to us no matter how bad a mess of things we have made. And so, friends, this morning, if you're here, and maybe you have a background in church, maybe you consider yourself a Christian at some point back in the day, but right now, as it hasn't been a part of your life, God's word to you this morning is, would you return to me? The invitation is there. He's saying to you, I don't want a divorce. I want you to renew your vows. I want to forgive you. I want to cleanse you. I want a fresh start with you. If you're here this morning and you've never put your trust in Jesus, you're like, I've never trusted in him. I've never considered myself a Jesus follower. And today that same invitation is there for you. And it's not as much that you've committed adultery uh, because you've never entered that relationship with him, but you've never received his love to start with. And so he says to you, would you come to me? Receive forgiveness and eternal life and salvation and walk with me now and forever. That offer is there for you today. And one step we can take to respond is the step of baptism. Baptism is an opportunity to publicly show our commitment to Jesus, to publicly declare, I'm all in with him. I'm identifying with Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. 
I'm following him. And so there's some of us here today who I know have put our faith in Je- have put your faith in Jesus. You're a Christian. You consider yourself a believer, walking with the Lord, but, but you've not been baptized. Baptism is not like some optional, I'll get to it one day thing. Baptism is like, if you're walking with me, be baptized. Show it. Like, are we going to make this thing public or what? Are you going to show to the world that this is a relationship or not? And so really, Jesus calls us, if we follow him, to be baptized. And so if you're here this morning and you haven't been baptized, I just want to encourage you to, to strongly consider that step. Baptism is not what saves you. It's faith in Jesus Christ that saves you. But baptism is not some optional, eh, I'll get to it eventually thing. Jesus calls disciples to be baptized. So if you'd like to learn more about that on your card, check the box, tell me more about baptism. Would love to follow up with you and talk with you more about that. And friends, if you're here this morning and you are a believer, you're walking with the Lord, I pray that this study through Hosea will just encourage you once again, remind you of God's grace and his love for you. That you'll be more committed to him because you see his heart and his goodness. He's a faithful, loving God who loves us no matter what. We have a chance to remember him through communion this morning. We're about to come to the table as we do twice a month here at FBC. And we take the elements which remind us of Jesus' body broken for us on the cross in the bread and the cup Jesus' blood shed for us on the cross. And as we take these elements, we remember him. And we come in celebration, realizing that though we, like Gomer, have strayed and sinned, God has forgiven us and welcomed us back into his home, to his table, to relationship with him. We practice an open table here, which means even if you're visiting, uh, if you're not you know, a member, you're just coming in from out of town, uh, we invite you to participate with us if you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The table is open to you. And if you're here this morning, you're like, that's not me. Uh, that's okay. I just encourage you to remain seated. Think about what we've talked about so far. Uh, I'm going to pray. Music's going to play, and then we'll celebrate. Jesus, we thank you for your love for us. You came, you laid down your life for us. You sought us, you pursued us, and you've saved us. And so we remember you now. We remember the cost, what you had to pay to bring us back to you, your death for us. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.